I've always loved drawing and I've always loved math. You know, I could have gone into sort of research in sociology and maybe I didn't love statistics, but I liked physics. So I think that was when I was doing the social work too, I felt like it was emotionally exhausting for me. I took it home. Yeah, I bet. And architecture felt more creative and... But and you never take that home, right? No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Hi. Hello. 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 Hello, and welcome to Architecting. Hey. Hey. Welcome back. Welcome back from Keystone. Oh, thank you. You too. We just got back from the big Colorado architecture party last week. AIA Colorado Keystone Conference. It was pretty fun. Real architecture nerds paradise. That's <laughs> what we do for fun. And wait, are you going to ask me who's on the show today? Oh, hey. Uh, hey, Adam. Who's on the show today? Today we have Katie Barnes from Brinker Rinker's Grace Cat. <laughs> <laughs> from Barker Rinker's Seat Cat Architecture. It's a fun firm to say. Barker Winker Seacat. If you can get it right. BRS. And Katie was actually at the AIA conference too, speaking. Yeah, she was moderating a panel on bodied carbon I went to. Hmm. Yeah, this was a, just a really interesting conversation for me where I didn't know all that much about BRS or Katie, but just had a very delightful conversation with her a daughter of an architect growing up in the architecture culture and then just having a very successful, solid career, thinking about the correct ways to run a firm and to deal with people and to create architecture and help the world. Mm, sounds important. Right. And then, yeah, we did get to see her in Keystone at the conference, and I was able to interview all the keynote speakers, as well as some of the other speakers, and so we'll be having a series of kind of mini podcasts with some pretty cool guests. Yeah, it was fun to see you in the fishbowl. Yeah, they set up a little podcast fishbowl for me, a little glass a little glass room. Yeah, so we'll be bringing you the president of the... 2023 AIA Firm of the Year, Methune, uh, David Goldberg. We have the 2023 AIA Gold Medal National winner, Carol Ross Barney, who is just delightful she and inspiring. And then we have other people like uh, uh, Tom Kundig coming up. So lots, lots of good stuff there. A little sort of recap in a way of what of what we heard from the conference. Nice. Yeah. So check this out and then check out the ones coming up soon. Enjoy. Hey, we're happy to be sponsored by Modern in Denver Magazine. For over a decade, they've been crafting fantastically curated content on Colorado designers and projects, spreading the gospel of good design within our region. And I love how the goal of Modern in Denver aligns with the goal of this podcast, to better build up and connect the community of Colorado designers. So go buy a copy of the magazine at your local bookstand, subscribe to their weekly email list, and follow them on Instagram. Check it out. Well, cool. Yeah. <laughs> it was nice to meet you. Thanks for having me in to your to your home here. Yeah, this is fun. I've been listening to your podcast. They're great. Oh yeah, thanks. I was just saying, you know, it's just it's such a like blessing to me to be able to talk with people like you and just to be able to really harvest. Maybe harvest is the wrong word, but gather this, <laughs> gather all this knowledge and and uh, and yeah, just to be able to yeah share people's stories. But so yeah, we'll start off with the the one weird question of who are you. Slam you into a brick wall. Right. Like, it's an interview. Yeah. Luckily, I just took a finished a leadership course, <laughs> and one of our assignments was to develop an essence statement 
over several months to refine it and really try to hone it. And so I had been thinking a lot about this. Although I also feel like I really, the quote from Carl Jung that I'm going to get wrong, but I'll summarize of, you know, you don't really live till you're 40. Prior to that, you're just rehearsing. I really believe that. I mean, I just think that the different epics of our lives, our ego wants us to think that we're one person, but we're really multiple selves. And so, but as of right now, if you can kind of create an essence statement of it's tied to your values and things, I have a lot of passion for like uh, cultivating connection. So like you're talking to all these different architects in the community, it's such a strong connection and integrity wisdom um also while like nurturing a fundamental clarity and creativity which benefits the whole i think that that's kind of at least for you know where i am at the moment i i like that quote too because i'm 38 and it feels like uh it feels like it takes the pressure off. I've got two nice. years. I got two years. I can mess around, and then, and then my new life starts. And, That's uh, right. It's it's hard, right? Like when you get start getting, yeah, into your ego or into just career and all that, and thinking, man, I'm I'm almost forty. Like this is this is almost over. What have I done? Let's go. Let's do this. Right. But and you th- and there's these feelings. At least this has been my experience of you know when I'm thirty, I'm like okay, I kind of have a sense of who I am and what I want. And when I'm 40, I think, okay, at 30, I didn't really know, but I'm now I know. And then hitting 50, it's like, I mean, in the big scheme of things, it's a very short period of time, but we're different in different epochs of our lives, I think. Right. And then each day can feel so long or so quick or or the years so quick. Yeah, that's Uh, true. uh, but I like that. I like that idea also of the the fundamental clarity. That would also be nice to get to. But so let's let's back it up. So cool. what was that essence of you back in uh, when you were growing up? Where'd you grow up? What were you around? I grew up in Dallas. Hmm. It was a struggle actually for me. I didn't quite feel like I fit in the culture of Dallas in the eighties. Which was a particular. Your hair wasn't big enough, or oh, my uh, hair was huge. Oh, nice. Or if I looked back at my. But it's, a, you know, each community has such a different culture associated with it. And I think that in some ways I didn't fit into the culture there. But that also helped me learn about who I am and grow and develop in a different but authentic way for me. My dad was an architect in Dallas. Uh, yeah. And um, huh. so I had a stronger connection to the architectural community through him when I was growing up, and that part was fun. Hey. So did you feel separated from the culture because of your connection to architecture, or what was the sort of strongest point of disconnect for you? I think going back to that, like fundamentally my values were different. So mm. my perception of Dallas in the 80s was it was a very see-and-be-seen culture and it was focused on it's very important how you reflect yourself to the outside world how you wanted to control other people's impressions of you Mm -hmm. so you know a big expensive house and a big expensive car and the clothes that people wore and things like that and that wasn't who I was fundamentally i think Mm -hmm. it took me a long time to figure that out it just felt bad at first you know yeah were were you sort of raised to sort of go away from those values or it was a sort of thing that came within you i think it was some of both what kind of work did your dad do and what was he yeah he did um a fair amount of historic preservation work Hmm. some of his several of his clients were church Hmm. church religious work and he did with his, he had one business partner at the time, and they did work with the University of Texas at Austin and SMU, Southern Methodist University of yeah, yeah. Dallas. And, um, and then he did a fair amount of high-end residential. So he kind of did a lot of different hey. things now that I'm thinking about. How, how large was his firm? What, what was the sort of makeup of it? 
That's a good question how large it was. Maybe they had 20-some people. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so it wasn't just him in your basement, like, doing yeah, stuff. Right. It was... You're right. You, so you were around in architecture office from early on. It's true. It's a good yeah. point. I would go and play under his drafting table with his drafting tools. But, yeah, you're right. It, was a, it wasn't just him and a partner or him in the basement. Yeah. It w and was it his fully his firm yet? Yeah, well, I, I don't know if he and his partner were 50-50 owners, mm. but, but their two names were on the firm, if that's what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What were uh, family vacations like? Did, did you do normal vacations or did you do like architect parent vacations? Yes, we did architect parent yeah. vacations where we would go, wherever we went, we'd go and look at architecture. And my dad would tell me as he chuckled to himself, he'd ask me to stand it next to a building. Uh -huh. And he'd say, it's for scale. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. I just had another child of an architect tell me that same story. Oh, really? Uh, or it, actually, it was a wife. It was a wife of an architect. And she said, I'd always have to stand next to the buildings. For scale. Because I was exactly five feet or something. But <laughs> <laughs> So what, what, what were some of those really impactful trips? Gosh. Which buildings did you stand next to? That, uh... To... Um... I stood next to a lot of them. Actually, a lot of cathedrals in London, the name of oh, names yeah. of which I couldn't remember, or in England in general. We were lucky because we did travel. Mm. We went to Corbusier's building outside of um, Villa Savoie. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm in every single picture for Skyrim. Oh. Do you have like that that series of photos? I do. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> that, that was fun. That's wow. Fun. Yeah. And across the United States too. I remember in 1976, we, I'm aging myself. The family drove in our suburban all around to Rhode Island and to Chicago and to New York City and to Boston and to San Francisco. And that was a lot of fun. So we saw a lot of buildings in all of those places, you know, I can't quite remember all of them, but. So then when you got to college age, did it feel like architecture? Yes, I'm going to be an architect because I've stood in front of all these buildings or yeah, what was that process like? I think when I first expressed an interest in architecture, I went, my parents really encouraged me in undergraduate to explore everything I could that I might have interest in. And I'm grateful for that because I learned some things that I was interested in that I didn't know. Mm. But after I took my first architecture history course and architecture studio and started to express some interest in that in particular, my dad really, you know, he cautioned me and said, this is a really tough profession. So make sure you're passionate about, really passionate about it. So undergraduate, I studied studio art and architecture and architecture and art history and sociology. I loved sociology, wow. too. Where was that at? Where did you go to school? I got my degree from Wellesley College outside Boston. Yeah, yeah. And um, I took studio at MIT and physics and studio art at Wellesley and history at Wellesley and wow. sociology at both places at mm. both MIT and Wellesley, which was cool to have different perspectives. Yeah. That Boston Cambridge scene seems to be awesome. Just the, the mixing of people and overlap of classes. It was such a great place to go to school. I thought. So was that part of the, uh, the road trip, the station wagon road trip of it looking was. for schools? Yeah. Chicago, Rhode Island, Boston. Okay, I got, yeah, I got the different. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so you graduated with all that, with all that kind of smattering of, of things. What did you do with it then? So then after, after undergraduate, I decided to work for a few years. So I had an architecture job, sort of a traditional architecture job. And I also did social work. Hmm to try and understand the fields better, better. And I really did listen to my dad's advice. Like, do I really have the passion to go into architecture school and spend that time and energy and then go into the profession? And from that, I realized that social work, I didn't have a perspective really of, of what my passion in that field, how it could lead to something to a profession that I would enjoy doing for 
the rest of my life. So I tried social work. Social work was not for me. I'm glad I had that experience, but I realized it's, I just, it solidified my passion to go to architecture school. Were you doing 20 hours in an architecture firm and 20 hours working for the state or something? What was? Oh, I think I, that's a great question. I, um, I worked 30 hours in an architecture firm and I worked 30 hours. So my late husband who actually passed away was in the Marine Corps. He did, um, ROTC at Mm. MIT. And so Mm. he owed them four years. And so we, he was stationed at Camp Pendleton. So we moved to, to Oceanside, California, and I worked in, this is hilarious now that I think back about it, but I worked for the American Red Cross on Camp Pendleton with the Marine prisoners huh. who had gone AWOL or done something, right? And so I was sort of working with them. interesting group. Yeah. The, the, you know, how the American Red Cross could support them in their needs, personal needs. And so you were doing that and working at an architecture firm. Yeah, yeah. Huh. And I didn't, I, I think I didn't really know how sociology, I didn't think about like how I've done a ton of rating on, I'm also really passionate about cognitive and effective neuroscience. Sure. And I, if I, I kind of wonder if I had been aware of that when I was younger, if I might have had a harder decision, but I still, I don't know, architecture is just, it's, I, I love it. Yeah. Sociology, that's that's a, a degree in a field that sort of feels like a, a cloud to me. Like I don't I don't quite know what it you know, it, it I get the idea of it, I think, but yeah, the the sort of practicalities or I mean it's pretty disparate once yeah. you get in, right? And there's lots of different ways you can take it. It's true, yeah. And you're you're just taking it to run an architecture firm every day now. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So which just is like really marine cool. prisoners, yeah. <laughs> When I was in college, when I was an undergraduate, I actually got letters of alums from my school who had studied sociology but were working in the architecture mm. field to say, have you combined those? Or I got one letter back that actually said, you might consider community architecture. <laughs> so I wonder if that was sort of one of my first, you know, one of those little inklings of yeah. that led me to this firm eventually. Huh. So what, yeah, what was it about that social work that, that then pushed you into grad school for architecture that, that helped you make up your mind for that? I've always loved drawing and I've always loved math. And while there, you know, I could have gone into sort of research in sociology and maybe... Mm-hmm. I didn't love statistics, yeah. but I liked physics. Mm. So I think that was when when I was doing the social work too. I felt like it was emotionally exhausting for me. Yeah. I took it home. Yeah, I bet. And architecture felt more creative and more. But and you sh- never take that home, right? You know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. You yeah. just stay that's, there all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That stays in the office. That's right. But I think. Um, but it is true that I've been able to do both, which I feel very lucky about. So then when you decided to go to grad school, you had taken two years off. You had some time to think. What was that process like of applying to grad schools and thinking about what grad schools write for you and, and where did you end up? I tried to do as much research and talk to the deans in the various schools that I was looking at to understand their focus, whether it was design or philosophy theory or constructability and practical. And I always liked the the theory and design. And so when I was looking at schools, that's what I was looking at. I also, I paid for all my school. And so I had to think a lot about, you know, I was in a lot of debt from undergraduate. Yeah, that's not a cheap school, right? It's not a cheap school. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's probably then it was cheaper, you know, it's all relative. But um, I was trying to decide, you know, how much debt do I want to carry? And how much is a, is I got a phenomenal, I'm really grateful that I had a great undergraduate um, experience and it, and it stretched my thinking. Um, And so I, I questioned, like, do I want a Ivy League school for graduate school? The benefit that I get from that is great, but is it worth the cost and right. 
all of that. So I looked at a lot of different schools. I looked at Berkeley. Um, I didn't like the, I thought, I don't know if I can stay overnight in a brutalist building. <laughs> I like it theoretically, but practically not sure if it was for me. <laughs> and my dad was friends with the dean at UT Austin. <laughs> and I didn't want to go back to Texas, but I knew that Austin was different than Dallas. Different than Texas, yeah. Different than Texas, <laughs> right. good description. Right. Yeah. I kind of reluctantly said, okay, I'll consider Texas. And then when I went there and I talked to the professors and the students and saw the campus and the city, and I sort of fell in love with it. So mm -hmm. I went to UT Austin for architecture school. So had your had your husband finished up with his four years? or No, he so was still, we were moving around a lot. So mm -hmm. I... I think that he continued another year at Camp Pendleton, I'm trying to remember this was long time ago. And then, um, and I was in Austin and we would just visit each other. And then he actually asked to get stationed at Killeen, Texas, just north, I think it's north of Austin, 45 minutes or something. And so he was closer. And then um, when he finished up his four years, he got a job in Austin. That was just when high tech was moving into Austin. Mm. So it was kind of perfect timing in that regard. <laughs> and then when I graduated, he was originally from Boulder. Oh, okay. And we'd spent a bunch of time here with his friends and family on breaks. And I loved it here. So after Austin, we moved to Boulder. Uh, another one of the uh, spouses of a, of a Colorado, Colorado native. Yeah, that's yeah, right. My, yeah. Myself included. Oh, really? Or, yeah, my cool. wife. My wife is from here. You, you liked Austin when you visited. Did it fulfill those things you were looking for? And and in what ways did it surprise you? The education, yeah. It was very satisfying experience in a lot of different ways. I think that I learned a lot more. I also had an internship during that time with Lake Flato in oh, San really? Antonio. So wow. I lived in San Antonio for a year. And from UT Austin and from that experience at Lake Flato, I fell in love with contextual, like uh, vernacular design. And that really strong sense of place that's attached to the landscape and the climate and how that influenced forms and passive cooling when possible yeah. and those things. And I fell in love with that. I wasn't aware of that prior. Yeah, I, and I feel like that's so strong in Austin, especially. Like I, I was just down in outside of San Antonio at uh, Lady Lodge, like a big retreat center. Oh, cool. But, um, Named after Lady Bird Johnson. Uh, no, oh. no, it, it's actually uh, it was started by um, Heb, the Heb grocery oh, yeah. stores or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah. it's like Harry Butt, whatever. Oh, reference okay. center but, but but it, it's an amazing center where it's it, it was recently redesigned by overland yeah overland and i was there with rick archer one of the principals and mm -hmm. got to experience that whole thing and the, the same thing right where you when you're really there and you know i have a certain thought of texas landscape which is totally wrong you know it's like i just think of deserts or something but yeah. in the hill countries there by this amazing river and forest and they did such a good job of integrating the architecture with the nature and seeing that sort of strain of architecture and thought and it being executed well you know where they where they are taking those vernacular forms but they're simplifying them but they're thinking about climatic responses where you really have to right and, and but you're also able to open it up things more than maybe here sometimes and yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, so that was, that was sort of the, one of the major like pedagogies for you that you picked up on through UT. Yeah. And, and Lake Fido and, and I, Lake Flood, yeah. And I loved it and I felt like, uh, really connected more to that. Um, I think I also really discovered more about my passion for creating and for communicating mm. visually. Hmm. And, you know, when exploring with different media, first you're just trying to learn, at least for me, first I'm just trying to understand the medium. Mm -hmm. But then, and it's probably like learning to play piano. When I'm learning to play piano, I'm learning the scales and learning how to read music and learning how to play a piece. But then when you can make it your own, it's so rewarding. Boy, yeah. So you felt 
like by the end of that experience, you were finally able to really play the music or, or start getting there. Start getting there. Yeah. And how to communicate myself in that, I think. You know, like Fino had a huge influence on me in that way too, because this was prior to computers and they freehanded everything. Hmm. All of their drawings, um, I don't know if you've seen their drawings, um, at least at that time, were absolutely gorgeous pieces of art. They There was just such a human huh. quality to that. And um, they, I think they were freehanding straight lines. And yeah. All of their construction documents were freehand. Really? Was it, did, would they, would they, draft out base layers and lay it down and then hit free it. Yeah. So wow. it was a real huh. hard, you know, yeah. it wasn't just sort of drafting. It was, yeah, we would do construction lines and get the whole thing laid out, but then we would make it a piece of art. And was that ink on mylar? Was it rapidographs or was it, it pencil? A little bit of rapidograph, but mostly um, just graphite on vellum or graphite on Sometimes trace paper. Right. Right. But And then hmm. some rendering with colored pencil. Hmm. Yeah, I need to check those drawings out. What, was that was that fairly early in the firm? I, I don't know their lineage as well. Um, you know, I don't know how long um, David Lake and Ted Flato were both partners at sort of, you know, I don't know if this is true in a lot of communities, but this was definitely true in Texas, and I've seen it in Colorado, or at least in Denver, that there are sort of those uh, grandparent architecture firms. Right, yeah. And that firm in Texas is O'Neill Ford, hmm. and he was very um, contextual to the landscape and the environment, and um, David and David Lake and Ted Flato started at O'Neill Ford, and then they split out. And when I worked there... Uh, let's see, it was in the mid-90s, and I don't know how long ago they had started the firm, but it, they were about 20-some people. Hmm. Okay, time. yeah. And now I think they're like 100. Right, they're huge, right? Yeah. Uh, and so then then also in, in grad school, were you able to continue the kind of sociology and community focus that you had started, or did you... Was that less of a I think focus? Where, I, where I could when it when it made sense, I did continue to study social psychology a little bit. Um, just by watching your studio mates? Just uh, <laughs> Yeah, experience <laughs> right, yeah. my studio mates and studio <laughs> um, I think uh, taking class, you know, so I took a couple of additional classes when I when I could and then I also, um, I, I gravitated to those projects in studio that I could see a piece of this. So one of one of our studios was really great. We have, do you know Big Bend National Park? Or, I don't know, I think it's a national park. Yeah, yeah. In southern Texas. One of our projects was to do a community center for the park rangers mm -hmm. in Big Bend. So, you know, we did site visits and camp went camping and met the park rangers or, cool. and to design a community space for that clientele really fascinated me and then trying to bring in the local vernacular right. and responding to the climate conditions and um and then we did a, a house that for a in for a underserved community family and we built it over the summer oh wow which was really great so i think those were the projects that i gravitated towards because of that aspect of community oriented or social psychology understanding how people really use space or their needs and how you get that information from people and yeah right i I just love that when when grad school can be right, and you can and you can really gather all those different things, and then you know by yourself put them into something, into a design, and create something. And it maybe it, maybe in the work you're doing now, you get to do a little bit more. But it's so rare, right, to be able to have that much control and 
and not that you should be able to have that much control, but yeah. to be able to really put all these ideas and everything into a piece of art, right? It's These questions are so great, too, because I don't think I've thought about it from this perspective. Hmm. Like, how did that really influence and how was I gravitating towards that combination of interests? But it seems so hard because it seems like most people come out of grad school with a full head of steam and all these ideas and all this want to save the world. And then you hit hit the wall of the profession and just navigating who's hiring versus where would be a good place to work versus how can I continue to improve the world or whatever that that goal is you know it's so so difficult it's so difficult that's really well put i see that with a lot of recent grads and i felt that way too right where it's like you want to you want to support that and cultivate that right but there's only so many hours in the day and so many things you can do and and there's code <laughs> yes right <laughs> so that so then what did your wall look like in uh, in boulder you graduate and move right to boulder I graduated and I moved to Boulder. I had researched firms in Denver and in Boulder and interviewed with a few and talked to a friend of my husband's from high school was an architect and she said, oh, you know, there's this interesting firm that's a little bit under the radar, but they seem to be doing things differently called Barker and Corsica. Hmm. And I thought, oh, I'll just do some research and interview with them. Hmm. And it's it felt right from the beginning. Wow. So that was the first job here? And, and then they were in Denver or? Denver, yeah. So yeah. I was commuting between Boulder and Denver for, um, well, ultimately I did it for seven years before. Wow. Years wow. And and so what was it about the firm? How, what was the sort of makeup of the firm at the time and, and how'd you slot into it? The firm was 20, mid-20s, upper 20s, mm. in terms of number of people. We're at 40 now. Oh, well. We've been as big as 53. We didn't really like it. it you know, there's like a tipping point and you become something different. I hear those, there's those special numbers of like 29 or something and then, yeah, 48 and, yeah, that, that make you into a different place. Different place. And, you know, depending on what the, the owners want, what they're passionate about and things, but there is a... The firm has always had a lot of partners involved, and I enjoyed that because there was so much to learn from the different personalities and the different styles and things like that. I was also really impressed. One of the partners, Roz Schneider, mm. was a woman, and she wasn't an architect. Right, yeah. And so I thought, this is like they think about things differently here, maybe. And that was exciting. And they also, when I first started at BRS, I got a lot more responsibility a lot faster. Hmm. And that was, you know, that really motivated me. Because, you, you, I mean, you were really pretty much right out of school. Right out of school. But you did have this other experience. and I had a couple of internships. I also did an internship, actually. You mentioned Cambridge and Boston. I had an internship at Cambridge 7. Oh, really? Which was, and I worked on aquariums, which, and I loved the wow. like, technical complexity of the systems of an aquarium, yeah. which is also something I love about community recreation. With an indoor pool, those pieces are really technically complex. Right. And it's a totally different type of space, right? Completely that you're in space. Feeling in. Well, give me a breakdown of, of the firm kind of a quick history of it. So how did, how did the three partners come together and and when, yeah. So um, Ron Rinker, Don Barker, and Russ Seacat were the three. Well, originally, you know, um, John Anderson. Oh, it really? Was, it was, um, of Anderson, Mason, Dale, it was Anderson, Barker, Rinker. Oh, right. In the mid-70s. I feel like he's like that Denver, uh, what what did you call it? Yes, like fountain or whatever. Yeah, the grandfather. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, a lot of Anderson, yeah. Yeah, there and yeah, because there's a lot of firms that kind of came out of Anderson Barker Rinker, Bennett Wagner Grody. Oh, really? From, in part, and anyway, um, so they started in the mid '70s, and um, and then from what I understand, 
the partners at the time, some of them wanted to go into community, focus on community work, and um, some of the partners wanted to focus on university work. And so I think that's yeah. kind of what the split was with Anderson, Mason, Dale, and Barbara Grusicat. And Roz became a partner, I think it was in the late 70s. So it was very early on. Um, and she focused on marketing and law office. And she was a great mentor for me, also from the standpoint of sort of the social psychology or the organizational development of the firm. And when I started, I don't know, maybe there were eight or 10 partners at the time. Oh, wow. Out of 20? Yeah. It was real top-heavy. And um, and at one point, I think we did have 10 partners when I first became a partner. And um, now we have, there's five of us. Hmm. So that's been a big change. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm interested that in just, just in general of sort of the idea of how many cooks in the kitchen and how what, what does each cook do and... How's it work? I mean, yeah. you know, I guess, do you have your sort of chef and sous chef and and sort of whatever, pastry chef? and uh, <laughs> That's and, right. Uh, yeah. We've really consciously tried to understand each of our strengths and each of our personalities. And as a result, I mean, we're constantly talking. We're talk, we talk about this at least once a year. Are we in the right roles? Mm. Are we... Are we is each of us focusing on where we can best add value and that's really satisfying yeah that it's so important right to be able to be in a position where your skill set can best be utilized and and lead best right yeah and and it seems intuitive that everyone would do that and it's really no, hard to right, do, right? yeah even just having the self-awareness to say this, I can, I, I think that I can add value in this way and this is my weakness and I think it's someone else's strength. So let's balance each other in that way. But being able to, to step out of the weeds and the fray and, and also have that self-awareness and be able to communicate with your partners that way. Right. Yeah. It's not easy. Uh, I'm like I'm like pausing here because this this will probably won't come out for a few months, but uh, I'm right in the middle of I've had a business partner for two years now, oh, cool. and we're right in the middle of splitting up. Oh, are And really? so and it was the same sort of thing where we we hadn't really worked together. We we were friends, and we were like, "Hey, you like design? I like design." Well, we kind of got brought together by a third person, but you know, you think that would work, and then we got in, and we were like just stepping over each other all the time. You know, there wasn't really clear defined lanes and things, but then there was nobody else to pass off everything to because you don't have employees. And so it was this, yeah, sort of slow, like friction that always kind of builds in a way. And, and so we're still kind of in the middle of that transition. And I think we're going to have our own firms, but still be able to collaborate, but where we have oh, kind of more great. space to kind of do the things that we're passionate about best without having to, yeah, kind of go with. It was always trying to figure out how we how we bring the two the two parts of ourselves together into one direction. Right. You know, and and I can imagine with with ten people or with five people, that's that's difficult as well. But so was the firm really founded with that idea of okay, we're going to be working on community community type projects, and that's what they were able to get right away. What I understand is that they did a lot of. Savings and loan. I don't know if you remember the savings and loan time. They had a lot of banks, um, mm. sort of small banks that they did, mm. and they didn't enjoy the work as much. Right. And um, I think that through connections in the in the different communities, they started doing community work. And one of the first recreation centers was in Westminster. What the Westminster Rec Center. Mm. And um, Ron Rinker, I think, worked on that, and um, they loved that type of work. And since we've been working nationally, it's just, it's really exciting to learn how to put yourself into a different community and really try to understand and hear from the community members how they see themselves or how they don't want to see themselves. And 
engage a complex, multi-headed client. Right. And get the community engaged and get them to have buy-in and feel like the building is theirs. Right. So they'll love it and they'll take care of it. But but then for probably from your standpoint, still be a cohesive piece of architecture, right? So it's not just like designed by committee. Right. A uh, camel or something, right? Yeah. But it, it seems like such an interesting typology where you have so many, like you're saying, you have these huge pools and you have this big space. Like I, I go to like Carla Madison a oh, lot. Yeah. And was just playing basketball there this morning and took oh, my cool. kids swimming the last weekend. And, oh, cool. and, you know, you're able to have all those sort of sectional overlaps and, and just the activity that's always going on, right? And the, the sound and everything. But I, I can imagine that with so many stakeholders and such a, a big project, right? It has to be, yeah, difficult. And then, and then how do you not lose that, what do you call it? Fundamental clarity maybe on, yeah, on the building, it's yeah, true. right? Yeah. It's true to make sure that, and to design it so hopefully it feels contextual. And maybe mm. that comes from my passion. <laughs> from UT Austin and Lake Plato of wanting it to be, to really feel like it's, we don't want to do the same style of building in every single community. It's right. not, especially for our civic building. Right. You, you do focus on like that, the rec center kind of typology here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what project do you feel like has really succeeded in bringing all those things together that you've done? I really like Carl Madison. And that was such a unique building and a unique client. And site, right? It's and site. Site is intersection of streets and Colfax and major yeah. streets and the history of Colfax, Colfax and East High and City Park and then Esplanade. Yeah, yeah. To the Sullivan Gate and and that was a really really fun project to work on. And I felt like we tried to listen to the client and the community in that they wanted it to feel like it was somewhat quote unquote gritty <laughs> as part of Colfax and that sort of, you know, the neon and the history of it. And then tying it to Carla Madison's passion for that community and and who she was and her sort of whimsy. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. We also, you know, we do libraries. Oh, cool. When it makes sense for us to do a library and we just finished the, I don't know if you're familiar with Link, the Greeley Downtown Library. Yeah, I saw it on the website. Yeah, that I would say even more. Was that a re that was a renovation? It was a renovation. Yeah, of the Greeley yeah, it was Tribune a building. It was a great, crazy transformation. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh, it was so fun. And you know the design concepts of respecting the Northern Colorado watershed hmm. and the confluence of the Poudre and the South Platte rivers, and that was sort of one of our design concepts. And the, this confluence of a library, an innovation center, Good. and that sort of third great place for the Good. community yeah. was really exciting. And our, our client was incredibly innovative. Matt Hort of, is the executive director of the um, High Plains Library District. And he really wanted us to do something different. And that mm. challenged us. And, and so I think architecturally it was really exciting and the process was really exciting because we tried to do something really different with the process in terms of applying lean construction, lean design techniques, processes from the start, from day one, or, you know, you might call it integrated project delivery oh, light. Okay, it wasn't yeah. a contractual method. It was a traditional CMR or CMGC. That's the lean process you're saying? Or, yeah. Or lean, yeah. So we brought everyone to the table from day one, including trade partners. Hmm. And so Lee, we're really passionate about lean. Yeah. And I've been, I've done a lot of research on it and I've tried to kind of, um, I sort of researched all the different organizational development or project management processes and looked at the, what really resonates with BRS's inherent culture and values hmm. and lean Lean and Agile were really right in alignment with it. And so we got the experts. It's really about a deep respect for people and their expertise, which is so contrary to the idea of the individualist Howard Rourke 
egotistical, arrogant, sort of I know everything right. perspective. But instead, it's like, no, no, you do this every day. You install glazing every single day. This is our design intent. How can we bring this to reality in a cost-effective way with your expertise? And so we brought those folks to the table early on. We partnered with Phipps, yeah. and they are all about this. And so... Um, hey, this episode is brought to you in part by Signature Doors and Windows and Modern Denver Magazine. Now, on to the show. It was a phenomenal process to have Ralph Casper was the estimator with Phipps and he co-located with us. So he came oh, wow. to our office. It started right before Courier. He came to our office every other week. COVID, we took a little bit of a break until it feel, felt safer. Right. And then he came back. But to have him sitting next to our project manager and our design manager and designers going back and forth to say, hey, this is kind of what we're thinking in terms of the design intent. What concerns do you have given the market, the supply and demand of materials or systems um, to still meet that intent, but in a cost-effective way for our current? And so he was continually estimating. So it wasn't a, you know that process of, you design and design and design and design. At the end of SD, you get an estimate, and then you start then over. You do it again. Right, yeah. <laughs> it's so wasteful and demoralizing. Right, yeah. And, and that, that does seem, it's, yeah, it's so, it's so powerful to be able to tap somebody on the shoulder and say, hey, how, if I added another window over here, what, what, can I do that? Yes, no? You know, have, have that idea, right? Like in, in grad school, I took like a business architecture business course or something, right? And we looked at different processes of working and one was that, right? I, you know, I've been out for, of grad school, I don't know, for eight years, something like that. And I've still never worked in a project that way, right? What are the things that holds it back from being more popular or being used more often, that more integrated project delivery system? It's a good question. I mean, my assumption is in part, inertia is a tough right. force to push against. I mean, a lot of times in this work, I've felt sort of like I'm pushing a gigantic like granite boulder up a steep, steep hill because it's going against the grain. Right. We all, it's human nature probably to fall back to the path of least resistance. What we've always been doing, it's like, why do we have to do it differently? We, we know how to do the way we've been doing it. Right. But the way we've been doing it is broken. Right. But it takes a lot of energy and a lot of work to say, I'm going to do this differently, but it's a better way. And I've been, you know, I'm always asking the architects in the office, okay, how did that, how did you feel about that process? Because it's a lot more upfront work. And the feedback I get is, yes, it's more upfront work. And we need to do things a little differently than we're, right, we're used to doing them. But it's so, such a more enjoyable process and the product is better as a result. Right. And it's changing less, right? I mean, and it's probably a lot of clients are thinking, no, I need to put this out to bid to get the best numbers. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're not, they're not thinking about how much redesign and uh, back and forth. And Yeah. It's pretty amazing. You, you move here start at the firm and you're still here, right? Yeah. You've moved up from kind of the bottom all the way to the top. Sort of what are the things that, that kept you here and what, what was the process like of seeing the same firm at, at kind of all stages at each desk almost? Yeah, it's been a great, this firm has had a lot of longevity for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. I think one of our partners that just retired in the last few years, Dave Hamon, started as an intern. Really? <laughs> um, huh. So he was here for, you know, 45 years or something. Wow. But I actually, so I worked at BRS for five years, and I was commuting from Boulder to Denver. And I was working, of course, crazy hours, and the commute on top of it, and it became too much. And so I actually had left BRS in 2001. Hmm. So I'd worked here for f almost five years, I think. And I also was kind of interested. I wasn't sure that this was the work I wanted to do for the rest of my life. So, you know, I always had these questions like, why am I working on a pool that's inside of a building? Like, that's mm. a liability issue. <laughs> um, not that these guys didn't know how to do it in, you know, the most 
safe, technical way, but... And just an energy perspective, right? Of... And an energy perspective. I mean, pools are, are energy hogs. Right. right? Yeah. And that's another cool thing is that this firm has always... We've analyzed the EUI of the recreation centers we've designed over the last mm. 25 years to to see how are we improving mm. in that way. But anyway, so I left and went to a high-end residential firm, Hardy High Architects. Oh, really? You were the, with Harvey, yeah? Yeah. And Harvey's great. And That's a that's a big difference. Huge change, right? <laughs> yeah. From like, I think we were 30-some people when I left and I went to Harvey's office that maybe had four. Oh, right. Um, and it was high-end residential versus, so it was really different. And, and I worked there for three years and that sort of solidified for me that I need that um, greater purpose mm -hmm. in what I do, I think. And I learned a lot. And I, one of the things I learned is I meet that doing community work feels like it's for a greater good. It has a an impact on that built environment in a bigger way, and it, it can really affect a community. I right. Think. And so, so then I returned to BRS in 2004, and then a year, and then I moved to Denver because I didn't want to commute. <laughs> it's like I can instead of moving firms, let's just move me. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, right. Yeah, exactly. Huh. That had to be nice. Where yeah, you you did gain that new perspective, and. Right. I feel like sometimes within a firm, you have to kind of leave it to then come back and be not taken more seriously, but but just to be seen in a new light, maybe or bring in those different skill sets or different experiences. So you got they said, please come back. We'll make you partner, please. And no. <laughs> I said I was a I think I was made a senior associate a little bit before I left, maybe a year before mm. I left or something. And then, yeah, they were encouraging. I'd stayed in touch with Roz she's always been a really strong mentor for me and um, I reached out to her and I said I, I'm thinking about leaving and I'm looking at different options and she said would you consider coming back mm. and um, so I you know I thought a lot about what I want you know what I really wanted that community focus of work and I really liked the culture of this firm it's very laid back. We work really hard, but it's a casual environment. It's um, very, very open. It's very, in some ways, we're horizontal um, in terms of structure. Because half the people are partners or <laughs> not, right. not anymore. Yeah. Because, because we feel like every single role is critical to the success. Mm. So we we had an older model, sort of a traditional model of the partners would kind of take the project and win the project and then they would design the project and then they would give it to a drafts person who would put it into Revit or AutoCAD at the time. Right, yeah. And we felt like we were missing a lot of talent. And so maybe 15 years ago, maybe somewhere in there, we decided we're going to change the, the way in which the firm is organized and we're going to get, we're going to really understand more, sort of like what we were talking about earlier about the partner's strengths and weaknesses. Hmm. We're going to understand and have conversations with everyone. Everyone has superpowers and everyone have, has things that they're not as good at and we can balance each other. Yeah. But we got to value all of it, right? Right. I don't know if this was true for you. Like, Coming out of architecture school, everyone thinks that a great designer. Right. And the truth is, we need really great technical people. We need really great pe people who are really good at communicating with communities and public meetings. We need people who are, you know, we need the gamut to be right. truly successful, I think. And so that's how we kind of got. So everyone is of equal import. There's not a huge hierarchy. Yeah, I mean, so that had to be a big mind shift for the firm, right? And a yeah. way of doing things and growing pains. And... We had a lot of growing pains, I think. Yeah. And for some people, it wasn't the right fit. Yeah. And I think we also became really intentional about, you know, we had fears at one point. If we really just focus on community work, what happens when the next recession hits? Right, yeah. And and are we cutting ourselves short in some way? Um, 
And then anyway, since then, we've done a lot of research and we've really kind of took the great leap and said, no, this is what we want to. And we want to be experts on this and work mm. nationally. And maybe that'll broaden our footprint, which will help during a recession. And so we've had a lot of changes now that you asked that question. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I think about that a lot of the sort of specialization versus generalist. Yeah. Right. And and how you strike that balance. And, and it, yeah, it seems like you guys are, are able to navigate that, especially when you've done so many. Right. And you can analyze it in all different ways and, and, and make the process more efficient, it's a lot easier to sell, right? Uh, yeah, it's true. It's, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm so kind of like ADHD. I have to like, I'm like, oh, I'm bored, bored with community centers. I need to do something else. I need to do something yeah. else. And then like, maybe it'd be smart if I did the same project twice, to project type twice. Twice. And yeah, that might be, <laughs> if you, if you had to think back, is there one day that stands out as, as the best day of your career in architecture because of something that happened? One specific kind of thing. Um, like that first thing that just pops in. When I say that question, just like, okay, the what first is it? thing that pops into my head is the grand opening of the Link project. Mm. And I think from the standpoint of, I love the building. I love the reuse of the existing facility and the kind of making of it new again. And I love everything that was behind the scenes and the passion that the team had working on it and the ways in which they stretched themselves and the client relationship and the community relationship and now seeing the impact and working with Wes Sam Bruce on the Children's Museum piece of that facility. So it's really the confluence. That's what I should have said. It's the confluence of the library and the innovation center and that children's museum mm. that West Sam Bruce worked on. And there was an enormous amount of creativity and innovation in the process and in the final product. And I think that that was really rewarding that I'm not sure if you're familiar with the NOCO CSP, Northern Colorado Construction Sector Partnership. Just yeah. um, they're encouraging trades, people to move into the trades since we've sort of, sort of lost a lot of that expertise, right. unfortunately, and um, getting people interested in construction. And they asked us to present on the process of that project. Hmm. And um, because it was so successful, the, the leader of the panel said, gosh, I... So you guys went through this really complex project and you're, you all loved it and you're friends and <laughs> you're not chewing each other out. And I think that was a big success and it took a lot of work to, but it was worth it. And just saying, it's amazing how many people answer that question with at the opening of a building, right? Oh, and, yeah. and seeing, seeing all that coming together and seeing the whole team together and yeah, it has to be powerful. On the flip side, what's the one day that stands out as the most difficult in your mind or just the hardest? Do you have a real kind of horror story that stands out that's uh, now it's funny and or not? But think about that. The horror story. Oh, come on. You have to have one. What's, I mean, yeah. I, just that driving from that, that last day that from driving from Boulder to D Denver when you said, nope, I'm not, not doing, doing it anymore. Yeah. You know, I, I will say, I don't know if it's like one moment, but to change, you know, that probably actually, now that I think about it, it goes back to the fountainhead, right? The idea of that struggle of, in a lot of ways, when I was trying to decide if I wanted to go into architecture, all of, you know, my friends in studio were reading the fountainhead and I read the fountainhead because they loved it. And I thought, I really don't like this book. This protagonist drives me nuts. And the whole, you know, rugged individualism versus collectivism and really bugs the crap out of me. So maybe I shouldn't go into architecture. But looking back at it, too, the idea of struggling to do something that seems like it's for the better, for the whole, for the people involved and for the building. But when you're pushing against decades of inertia right. and all you know, folks that have a different interest, 
some people are interested in bettering the experience of design and construction. They're interested in making money. Right. And if those two things are at odds, I mean, that's, that's a, there were times where I thought, what, this is not in my personality to be leading a whole change management. Why am I even, this is exhausting. And, um, actually there was one day where one of my partners, as I was talking about this and, and pitching it to my partners over a long period of time. And I kept getting pushback from my partners. Our CEO said to me, thank you for taking us, for dragging us, kicking and screaming into the 21st century. And I thought, okay, this is worth it. It is worth it. But I, at, at the time, man, I was frustrated and angry and wondered what I was doing and why aren't I just designing buildings? Why am I trying to change an organization and a profession? Right. It, you know, it's, it's interesting. I saw I saw a quote from you about about the fountainhead and and I remember reading that in school as well and it's We'd it's love to hear it, it's funny it's because he used the exact opposite you know it was like one of my favorite books you know and like I was of course like you know a really cocky coming out of high school you know like uh, uh, but and I'm still trying to get over that but not, uh, <laughs> but but. Uh, but to me, you know, it was always, if you ignore like the rape and all the other other stuff that's built into it that I know is wrong as well. But like, it was always him. It was, it was that person fighting against the thing that's not right. It was, he had the, the right idea of architecture that it should be about the, the modern principles, the good modern principles, right? Of, of light and of people and of, of, of functionality and fighting against the, the opulence of the classical that's and everything. And that's, I think that's what I mostly gravitated towards and of, of knowing what's right and pushing for it, even if you have to go and work in a, go into a mine instead or whatever, you know, Yeah. Uh, it is such a balance. It has to be such a balance, right? Especially right. with what you're doing of you thinking, you know, what's right and not in an egotistical way, no. but of saying, I've, I know architecture, right? And I know I've done this before. And then going into this room full of stakeholders that you're trying to bring in and and not not just be the Howard work that is yeah. going to dynamite it but uh it's true well and and not compromise that's another big piece right. of that right is even trying to work towards creating a better environment in which we do work better processes and and a better product feels like it's the right thing you still have to compromise right no matter what because even ideally when none of us are committed to being right, but we encourage what we think is the right thing. Right. And respect that we got to compromise. Right. Yeah. And, and, and keeping a, uh, open enough mind to realize you probably don't, even the thing that you think is right, maybe That's it's right. not. Cause there's black and white. It's never black and white. It's always gray. Right. Very few things are clearly right or wrong they're frequently just our opinions right <laughs> right right yeah so what what excites you about the future what's what's the thing you look forward to i get really excited when architects in the office get really engaged and excited about what they're doing mm -hmm. what they're doing and how they're doing it and when they work with one another to make something better that's really rewarding. And I feel like the more we can do, I would love to, you know, just get better and better at that within our organization and how, and understanding ourselves and our, our um, superpowers and our weaknesses. And it's like when I, I used to play soccer mm. and, you know, I knew my position and I knew what I was good at and I knew what my co-defender was good at and not good at. And it was almost like with, we didn't even have to talk, right? We yeah. just knew and we could anticipate where we needed to be on the field, depending on our strengths and weaknesses. And that's how I see this, the teaming of our architects and interior designers and our marketing folks and getting everyone really working as a team 
well together is really satisfying. And then I think ultimately, of course, that in the building is better for it. Yeah. Again, I just really enjoyed meeting you and hearing this whole story and, and, and just seeing this perspective of architecture, right? And of leadership and of, of thinking about firms, because obviously they're not all this way, right? Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, so thanks for sharing and coming on the show. Thank you. I would love to ask you a bunch of questions, but I know that's nope, probably... We've hit our time. And, and got... there was a... I haven't listened to it yet, but I understand. Was it your 50th or yeah. something? Yeah. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of me on, on that one. Good. Yeah, you can... Yeah. Good. I'll listen. I should have listened to that in prep for that. No, no, no. But yeah, thanks. Thank you. You can visit architecting.com. That's architect-ing.com to see images from this week's guest. And please rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Have a great week and keep connecting. Hi, I'm Eli. This show is made by my mom and dad and these people. Heidi Mendoza. Emily Child. Fernando Queiroz. Zach Huff. Trevor Motzko. Aaron Best. Kyle Brunner. Rob Cleary. All right, let's get a coffee. See ya.